Hello and welcome to the Investors Chronicle Companies and Market Show. I am John Human, editor of the Investors Chronicle. It's been another crazy week on the markets. We've uh, had the announcement of the Euro referendum date. In short order, uh, news of a potential tie-up between the London Stock Exchange and Deutsche Borsa, which Ian Smith is going to discuss with us shortly. Mark's a bit of up and down, as we've come to expect of late, and that chimes very neatly with our cover feature, which Mark Robinson put together. Mark is going to talk to us about that in a minute. Um, but first, to uh, go through the news, Bradley Gerrard. How are you doing, Bradley? Good, thanks, John. How are you? Not too bad. Not too bad. Um, so, lots been happening this week. Yeah, an awful lot. I mean, as you say, Brexit kind of stole the uh, the rhetoric show, I suppose, this week with uh, you know, Cameron and Boris battling it out. It's had an effect on markets as well. It's not just a political debate. Um, sterling actually fell below $1.40. I think it even fell below. It's falling further today again. This this was particularly pronounced when Boris announced that he was backing the Yeah, he really added campaign. fuel to the fire, basically, and that sort of led sterling to weaken to the... Uh, a level not seen since 2009 so that shows you how sort of stark that is mm. and um, the cost of there's a, an index of like volatility in currency and that kind of basically equates to how much it would cost to insure against further falls in the pound and, and that volatility index is, is rising a lot as well so to buy yourself an option to defend yourself against further falls in sterling is getting more expensive which means that more people think it's probably going to get weaker okay which i guess also suggests that more people think that a brexit is becoming increasingly likely I think people just don't know. That's the honest answer. I mean, there's there's uh, the, the problem, I suppose, now for the Remain campaign is that the Leave campaign has a well-known figurehead who people can refer to just by his first name and know exactly who they mean, and that's obviously Boris. So well, well, the, the, the Remain campaign has Dave. It does have Dave, but before the Leave campaign had not really anybody at all. No. So um, that's the big... Well, it's got Mike... Well, yes, because we've got a few people, but um, no, no one <laughs> quite like... Oh, Mickey yeah. Gove. Yeah. Mickey, Mickey G, as his friends call him. But um, yeah, no one quite as um, emblematic, I suppose, as Boris. So that's going to be interesting. And it will also create kind of uncertainty in markets, which, you know, sort of charge of the week um, on the seven-day spread this week looks at the gold price. Uh, I mean, it particularly looks at it in this case against the oil price, but just the gold price alone, you can see that rising an awful lot, which is uh, seen as a sort of safe haven trade, a store of value in uncertain times. And over in Japan, it sounds like a bit of a funny story, but the sales of safes are surging once again. And that's like home safes for the home to put your money in because um, it's just not worth putting it in the bank. It literally is not. So the three biggest banks in Japan will pay you 0.001% interest. There's obviously a lot of fear that that could actually go negative. negative so yeah. people are just pulling their money out the bank and literally putting it in a safe yeah, but, under their bed. But in a, in a safe, your money's getting 0.000 recurring percent. True. That, that's just the sentiment of what's happening in Japan, I suppose. Yeah. I mean, if I was to buy a safe, I, would, I wouldn't be buying it for cash. I'd be buying it for valuables. Um, maybe gold. <laughs> maybe gold. Well, absolutely. I mean, you know, gold is... Uh, is the obvious store of value that many people turn to in times of crisis, and you've got to have somewhere to put it. Interesting, uh, bizarre little trend. There. Yeah, it is. But, uh, it noteworthy, is. nevertheless. It is. I mean, it happened in the 1990s. Um, I was chatting to um, actually Tony Stelling over at BlackRock. He's the UK MD over there. And he said, actually, safes, in terms of uh, consumer item, were the most popular thing in the 90s. And that's obviously when the deflation spiral kind of really kicked in in Japan. So mm. there's a bit of a worrying correlation potentially emerging there. Who knows? Maybe we'll see that here. That could be good news for uh, B&Q. It could be. <laughs> B&Q sells safes. Uh, and especially uh, a lot of safes through their Screwfix brand, which uh, we've spoken about before. We have. Okay, um, right. Uh, what else have we got this week? I noticed Carney, uh, Mark Carney, the governor of the Bank of England, uh, was talking uh, to people. 
Yeah, <laughs> as he does. As he does. That old Mark Carney. Yeah, um, he um, he was addressing MPs, and I guess what's what's particularly interesting about his um, his comments this week. I mean, you know, we, we've probably been here before many times, but um, it wasn't that long ago that you could have spoken to fund managers, economists, or whatever, and they would probably have penciled in one rate rise this year. And now, I I, I certainly believe you'd be very hard pressed to find somebody who thinks that's going to be the case. And actually, Mark Carney, in his statement, well, the thing that was most picked up anyway was that should the Bank of England need to, it could reduce rates lower or could do more QE. So, those, I mean, those things have always been on the cards. They're not new things. But the fact that he's sort of offering those at the moment and those are kind of the main thrust of his statement suggests that he's a bit more dovish than hawkish. Mm. He also was denying that we'd ever need negative rates i think in the same yeah i think he doesn't meeting. want to go there but then you know look where we are i mean japan's japan's there with some of its deposit rates europe is there with some of its deposit rates um china's bringing down reserve ratio requirements and stuff mm. so you know uh, the trend globally is that that is the case at the moment but obviously mr Carney at the present doesn't see you know any need in the UK to do that, but he's changed his mind before. So. Yeah, so much for forward guidance. Yes, eh? exactly. So much for forward guidance. Okay, should we talk quickly, Ian, about the LSC? We've talked about Brexit, or the possibility of a Brexit, and almost immediately we got this news from the London Stock Exchange. Is it a coincidence? Well, you who think, knows? John? Some people don't think it is. Well, the Brexit link seems to be that people think that the LSC runs LCH Clearnet, which is a clearinghouse, which has a UK licence and an EU licence. And people think perhaps if uh, Britain was to leave the EU, it might um, make it more difficult for them to clear their euro business. Um, So perhaps, you know, it's a defensive tie-up as much as anything. But I think there's much more compelling reasons for the deal that are definitely more compelling than the last two times Deutsche tried it. So I'm not so convinced of the Brexit link. I think it may be a bit of timing. What what do you think? Uh, I really don't know. (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean, I think there must be a link for it to happen in such short order uh, as, you know, the the spectre of Brexit becomes a little bit, bit closer I, I can't believe there's not a link, given that the LSE uh, is a pan-European organisation looking to protect its position. But actually, I think more pertinently, uh, these com- kind of organisations simply want to consolidate to, to give themselves better, more scale and better you know, position in, in the markets that they serve. And you've written about whether you think that will be a good thing for investors. Well, of course, it won't be a good thing for investors. I mean, my, view, my view would be, and I think the competition regulators who will no doubt scrutinise this deal to the nth degree, will we'll share the opinion, as they have uh, before, that you know, if these organisations become too large, their stranglehold on the markets that they serve becomes so great that competition is reduced and, and therefore uh, they have you know, absolute power over pricing. I mean, I, I, I agree with you. I mean, it will create a very dominant exchange, uh, clearinghouse, uh, but also an indices business, um, LSE as FTSE, obviously, and um, Deutsche, Deutsche Stocks. stocks. Um, yeah, so at some point, Jonas Crosland, our property correspondent, will say, when are they going to stop calling it FTSE? Because it doesn't have the FT anymore. And at some point, it might not have the LSE either. No, no. I mean, it's, In total. You, no, absolutely, absolutely. So, I mean, I guess, you know, what we've alluded to there is, is possibly the biggest obstacle to this deal actually happening, which is, is competition law. Um, exactly right. And then there's this other question, which is that uh, the Bank of England is clear, uh, currently the market maker of last resort for LCH ClearNet. Um, so in a tie up, who would be the kind of regulator, the, so the central bank that would sit behind this combined organisation? So there's definitely some quite big questions mm. for the deal. Huge questions. Mm. Huge questions. I mean, it's interesting 
looking at this this deal now, this potential deal now, when you consider the history that uh, you know, the LSE has been subject to approaches before, there's been you know, attempted consolidation in this industry before, uh, which either has been rejected by by the target, which has been the case with the LSE on occasion, or has been blocked. But you know, if if the LSE had to come to a bid uh, all those years ago, you know, its shareholders would certainly not have done as well as they have. No, exactly right. I think um, we've referenced to it in 2004, LSE um, denied an approach for 530p a share in cash from Deutsche. So, you know, it's now at uh, over 2,600p mm. a share. It was when we put this uh, article together. So Now they're ready to acquiesce. Yeah, now they're ready to acquiesce. So maybe, so maybe that tells you something. And it tells you that LSE has really well diversified its business and has grown some serious operations. Um, away from the kind of central ex- exchange. Yeah, I mean, I had actually read another argument that uh, you know the LSE and Deutsche wanted to get this deal away now because they they were worried from a Brexit perspective that when we become Little England again, should we become Little in- England again, this kind of deal will get blocked because we don't like giving away our national champions to foreign predators. Yeah, that's very much the nationalistic, <laughs> and I think that's partially why they're presenting it so much as a merger of equals, mm. uh, despite the fact that the, the Deutsche shareholders will end up with fifty four percent of the. Combined group and but looking at the ft today it's going to be listed over here still yeah 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 with the german chief executive though so i think they're doing quite a good job of trying to straddle that particular <laughs> tricky question yeah i mean you know i look at this and i think well actually you know the lse in its current form actually it's kind of a european business anyway it owns uh, borsa italia it does a lot of business in europe you know but it's actually a kind of it's a kind of sign of the eu working quite well in in respect to financial services and to be fair to them they do claim um just give their side of it that when it comes to pricing that getting together will allow them to be to provide better pricing to some of their larger clients um so uh, yeah i don't know if you can believe that when you see it believe that when you see it that's how monopolies generally (laughs) faultless yes yeah um i mean you know there is no doubt and i you know i had to dig around to find these stats but since mifid uh in 2007 uh which pretty much opened the european market up and certainly the uk equities trading market up to competition which you then got in the form of some of these multi lateral trading facilities, trading costs have gone down by quite a substantial amount. So there is an argument to be had for for greater competition within this market, keeping prices down rather than consolidation pushing prices down. <laughs> that would say it's a bit right. of a stretch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I agree. Okay. Interesting. Well, we, we keep an eye on that. Um, we're not changing our recommendation at the moment, I guess. No, I think we currently have it on a hold and we're keeping it there until we know more about the deal. Because it's not a formal bid. It's so not far. formal and I think they have until 22nd of March to announce a firm intention. Okay. But a very, very interesting development so far. And as I write in my editorial, it's probably the first concrete, if it is Brexit related, probably the first you know concrete reaction we've seen to the likelihood of a Brexit. Exactly. In, ter- in, in terms of actual you know, things happening. But there you go. Uh, Ian, let's talk uh, Lloyds while, uh, while I've got you. They had some results today which uh, were okay. Yeah, they were okay. I mean, you can tell a million different stories with a set of banking group results. Um, obviously, the PPI bill it continues to be absolutely massive. It's just dragging down the post-tax profits. Uh, but the underlying performance was good. The underlying profit, uh, excluding TSB, was up. 10% in 2015. But the main thing that everyone's talking about is the dividend, dividend, which has come back as, you know, many private investors were hoping for. And that's had a massive effect on the share price today, which is, uh, when I last looked at it, up about 12% for the day. Well percent today. So, yes, yeah, a huge move for the day. That will help uh, George Osborne, won't it? Yeah. <laughs> and you, that is a really interesting question is, obviously... Uh, 
for the share sale to go ahead, the share price does have to recover. And obviously you have market turbulence and that's the reason why they paused the deal. Um, but obviously the, the government as a shareholder has a great interest in uh, Lloyd's getting back on its feet again and, and, and becoming an, an, a stock that private investors want to hold. So I think the, the management must have been very mindful of the expectations around the dividend. Mm. Um, you know, not to be Mindful. too much conspiracy theorist about you, it. You've got my mind racing with <laughs> conspiracies now. <laughs> um, okay, so Lloyd's, Lloyd's okay. Uh, some of the other banking results this week were, were a little bit rough. Uh, Standard Chartered in particular. Yeah, it's, it's the same old story, except the story's getting a bit worse for mm. Standard Chartered and HSBC. The big problem that we were talking, well, we've talked about a lot on this podcast, the downturn in the commodity markets, is obviously now knocking on in terms of the loan exposure that the banks have to those areas. So Standard Chartered had to take quite large provisions on its oil and gas um, exposure, and HSBC suffered too because of that. Yeah, this is something that comes up in the cover feature uh, that we're going to talk about very shortly. Um, those exposures uh, have previously been downplayed somewhat but but actually they're having a real noticeable effect they're having a really noticeable effect and this is probably the first time that we're starting to see it quite strongly um and who knows where it's going to go from here okay and especially for those uh, uh, the two banks i suppose that are most exposed to those you know the the most global operations the emerging market operations standard chartered and hsbc also just on hsbc also struggled a little bit on margins in its um UK retail business so there's a lot of competition what's um, what's hitting margins there is it just uh, the uh, competition in the mortgage market right kind of low rate environment. low rate environment yeah it's, yeah. Very, it's very difficult for banks uh, that, that was something that I think that was actually more compelling with Lloyd's again um showing that it can you know it's got a strong enough franchise to protect its margins at the moment um, and even grow them so in terms of the banking sector you are starting to see a real split um, between the performance of a UK well not you're not starting to see it as the continuation of a trend of anything that's exposed to the UK economy and the strengthening economic recovery although it's been a bit wobbly um, is doing a lot better than uh, banks that are exposed to emerging markets um, and yeah the oil and gas sector that we discussed okay um, so yeah Pretty pretty gloomy there. Um, I mean, the results section is busy this week, and it's going to be busy again next week. Our good week, uh, which we always feature in seven days, was uh, was McBride, which is a relatively small company in your sector, Bradley. But it's uh, but it's having a, a blinder at the moment. Tell us about that. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's um, the new management team, well, the new um, chief executive and CFO have been in situ for roughly a year now. And there are some just a couple of figures which just sort of strike me. Having I, I met them last year and obviously spoke to them for the call um, uh, yesterday, the other day. They're getting rid of about seventy five percent of their clients, and you'd think, well, that's that's an incredible amount. But those seventy five percent of clients account for only three percent of their profits. So it's just um, previous management obviously just went a bit too diversified. Perhaps they had too many customers. And with the customers they had, they were doing too many things. So They're trying to grab market share, basically. Kind of, yeah, I think. And so things like um, with Tesco, which is one of McBride's clients, you know, McBride was making seventeen types of washing up liquids just for Tesco. So, so I mean, just to now it's making eleven. So. Yeah. So McBride makes own brand, own label. Products, yeah. Sorry. Yeah, it makes home care and personal care products. Um, which Tesco would sell under its own. Yeah. Own brand. So it will make the products, and Tesco will sell them as um, you know, Tesco. 
yep. whatever. So that's his business model, basically. So yeah, it was effectively producing too many different types of product for its customers. And by the looks of it, it had too many customers, a very large proportion of whom were just not actually delivering any profits to the company. So uh, management's been very active very quickly, and it's having a remarkable effect on the share price. We've had this on a bu- as a buy tip for uh, some while now, I think since the back of 2014, I seem to remember. Harriet Russell, who's our sort of retail correspondent, when she covered this group, she put it on a buy tip. It's, it's done very well for us. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's one of those companies because of the nature of what it does. It's uh, one of its biggest input costs is uh, is oil, petroleum. Yeah, exactly. And so, so actually, it's benefiting from that as well. And, you yeah, know, it's, it's if you actually do the crunch the numbers, its share price has always been inversely correlated to the oil price. So it's a bit yeah. of a no brainer there, really. It is, yeah, and um, you know, it is, I suppose, subject to the sort of pricing pressures of uh, the supermarket price war, that sort of thing, and the sort of disinflationary pressures. But at the same time, supermarkets are also looking to rationalise their brand so as long as you're in there which McBride is always going to be because it makes the supermarket's own brand stuff then it's fairly well protected from that respect so. yeah I mean it's you look at its share price and it's you know it's done kind of recently uh, nearly I mean some would say better than than the grocers by by quite some mm. stretch oh, yes. uh, and you would have expe- as you say you would have expected to be exposed but actually you know this rationalization argument is a good one if uh, yeah. if it's able to cut its less profitable lines as supermarkets pair back what they're doing then yep. hey good news exactly and the supermarkets are not going to get rid of their own brand stuff so if McBride's making that for them then that, that's its defence against the sort of disinflationary pressures that we're seeing in the grocery segment good we've had quite a few uh, updates from miners this week and Alex I'll bring you in here to talk about those uh, obviously the big one there was uh, was BHP Billiton yeah so BHP uh there was a widely expected uh, dividend cut, and that proved true. It was a bit, a bit uh, of a greater cut than uh, analysts had forecast. So it came down in the end to about sixteen cents uh, for the interim dividend. It's followed, therefore, Glencore, Anglo American, uh, Rio, uh, and a host of other uh, smaller miners in in cutting the dividend. We uh, have we've decided to to keep. BHP on hold. I mean, a lot of people will probably hold the shares as a long-term income uh, uh, play. Um, we wouldn't sell out, I don't think, of, of, of BHP, and it's obviously got some good good strength in the balance sheet. But um, but yeah, another another uh, reminder as we get each week that uh, these aren't good times for miners. No, so we're not we're not necessarily calling the bottom yet, but also we don't advise selling. Yeah, indeed. And there's there's a, a big issue at the moment with with BHP. So they had this this disaster in in Brazil in November with the Samarco joint venture. That's going to that's going to leave uh, considerable uh, liability risk for the foreseeable future. So uh, yeah, a number of number of fatalities when this dam burst uh, at their iron ore plant there. Uh, they're going to be possibly huge settlements with uh, US investors, not to mention the uh, you know any any criminal um, uh, criminal prosecutions which uh, end up being brought by the uh, Brazilian state. So lots to worry about uh, you know with commodity prices on their own let alone uh, you know a deep water style headache for 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 BHP for the foreseeable future yeah although looking at this not quite not likely to be quite as big as yes it, well, indeed i mean it, we're not talking probably not talking about billions and billions but uh, BHP admitted they really don't know the quantum or timing of the the fines. So this one this one could run, and that's never really good for a, a share price. Yep, uncertainty. That is one thing investors do not like. Um, okay, I mean, you know, that's the kind of uh, sort of uh, 
industrial commodities. Um, but actually, things are not looking quite so bad elsewhere in the mining space. Um, we had some interesting results from uh, a gold miner, a small gold miner, Pan-African. This yeah. They were quite good. Yeah, we, we're keen on Pan-African and a number of other uh, uh, gold miners in London. Uh, everything came together for Pan-African in their, in their second half of, of 2015. So they had costs coming down, good uh, gold price environment for, uh, they have sort of RAND denominated sales. Um, they're getting higher grades from their mines as well. Um, and the gold price has, uh, has really rallied so far this uh, year, which is, is probably a symptom of nerves around central bank decision making and, and perhaps a, a growth in demand from Asia expected later this year. But um, things going very well for Pan-African. Uh, we remain we remain pretty bullish on gold, and uh, and uh, yeah, we've we've kept our buy rating there. Yeah, it's a nice looking share price graph, uh, which uh, is unusual across all sectors at the moment. Diamond miners, we had a or diamond and gemstone miners, uh, Petra Diamonds and Gemfields also reported this week. Both both of those are on buyers as well. Yeah, uh, so we're not we're not just uh, we're not just golden. Uh, we're not just obsessed with luxury brands, but we we do see there's there's some port some support coming in for uh for for diamond pricing this year that was the that was consensus both from uh, petra and gemfields gemfields is a very interesting company that they and and this is something that any investor in in precious stones should bear in mind that sales can be very very lumpy you might have a couple of uh, big auctions each each uh, half year so uh, so in the case of Gemfields, the timing of their auctions were really, really skewed to the first first half. This year, they've decided to to spread them out a little bit, which is is, is better because you get a, you know it's, it's easier to forecast for the analysts, and it's easier to uh, to uh, I, I guess balance potential disappointment or sentiment in the shares if these auctions reveal sort of lower uh, lower. Sales volumes or, uh, or or prices for the for the diamonds. So, um, but we're we're keen on Gemfields. They you know they're also the owners of uh, of Fabergé, which um, seems to be reining in its losses. There's a bit of concern there, but yeah, we're, we're bullish on Gemfields as well. Okay, interesting stuff. Thank you, Alex. I'll let you get back to uh, to the busy results season. Uh, okay, what else we've got in the results section, Ian? Uh, house let's, builders. Let's, house builders. Yeah, let's stick with the good yeah, news. Yeah, let's, let's talk about big good, good news. We know they're well followed. Um, Barrett Developments is making up for lost time on the dividend front. It, it had a high in the latest half year dividend, which followed a special 10p payment last year, and that means that the yield is now, uh, I think, for the for next year is going to be up to 5.4 percent, which puts Barrett up there. Yeah, with the rest of the kind of house builders in terms of having a bit more of a decent dividend. We Indeed, but it's going to have to go some to keep up with Persimmon, though. Yeah. Which, I mean, <laughs> the, the cash returns here are just growing and growing. Yeah, uh, the current payout is 5% in terms of a dividend yield, mm. so that's really strong. But it's upping it's, its cash returns. And it's upping its cash returns, promising bumper dividends, um, just throwing off a huge amount of cash. It's all the same factors that we've talked about before. Mm. Um, but, you know, we've also talked about the house builders, um, the kind of premium that they're showing and how pricey they are. But they are currently backing it up. I, I thought one result that was just kind of quite nuanced and interesting was MJ Gleason. Um, it 
and it has this real north-south divide in its business. Uh, in, in the southeast, um, it has a strategic land operation where the company gets land through the planning process and then sells to house builders. And now that is doing incredibly well, as you might imagine, because of the value of that and mm-hmm. the demand for land in the south. Whereas in the no- the other side of its business, it builds house uh, affordable housing in the north of England. And there's just one stat where average selling prices in its area um, in the in the half year period were up uh, four hundred pounds. So a whole four hundred pounds. A no, whole I mean, four hundred pounds. So not, it just shows this. That's not the interesting figure. The average selling price of one hundred and twenty-five thousand is the <laughs> interesting figure. Exactly right. I mean, that's extraordinary. Yeah, it's and extraordinary. It, I mean, it doesn't make quite the margins on on these sales as some of the you know more southern centric house builders, but it's still making good money on it. It's still making good money, but I mean, what is what is powering the profits is obviously the the, the southern part of its business. Mm. So it just shows the kind of different speeds we have in the housing sector yeah. at the moment. No, it's a fascinating company. I, was, I mean, I was going to say you know with regards to the more uh, sort of normal house builders uh, that we write about. You know, the share prices have trod water uh, over the last year somewhat, uh, even though that's kind of made up for with these decent dividends. But MJ Gleeson, the price is just flying. It's been flying. Exactly tip, right. tip of the year as well. Oh, I didn't even... <laughs> yeah, tip, tip of the year. Well, very good flagging it then. Yes, as Lloyd's tip of the year as well, wasn't it? Yeah, Lloyd's tip of the year. And, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm Are we the money yet? personally very happy about that one. Given, yeah, uh, good. We've, 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 it was a recovery tip of the year based on the re- uh, dividend returning. And given the amount of PPI um, payout, there was a lot of concerns that that wasn't actually going to happen. So Indeed. that's probably why the share price has risen so high today. And am I right in thinking BAE Systems was a tip of the year as well? I think it was, wasn't it? No, you're testing me. I don't ah. know. But they've done quite well this week as well. Looking good. Looking yeah, good yeah, they are looking good. I mean, defence spending in in the UK and US mm. is you know has been the taps have been loosened. Yeah, yeah. No, looking good there. Looking good. Okay, so yeah, interesting results uh, season so far. Um, bit of a mixed bag. Um, plenty more to come. So who've we got this week? Anyone big? Uh, well, we've got RBS. Uh, we've got um, Barclays. Anyone in your? I've got um, IAG yeah. tomorrow, I believe. Uh, the British Airways, Airways yeah. And uh, William Hill, I think, as well. Another bookie. Oh yeah, you had Labricks this week. We had Labricks this week. Are they on the mend yet? Well, it's that's the million dollar question. <laughs> um, I mean, some would argue that yes, they're kind of they're getting there. I think Jim Mullen, the um, chief executive over there, has been in place. Uh, I think between a year and eighteen months, if memory serves me correctly. Um, and there are signs that his strategy is kind of working. They, they took a bit of pain last year. They said they were going to reduce their dividend, um, cut costs a bit, but they, they set themselves some some aims to try and hit. And one of those, for instance, was to increase the number of people who visit, not only visit its retail stores, but then also go and bet online. That figure was very weak compared to competitors. Um, but in the period that they reported, um, they've seen a 35,000 new customers gained through its digital channels so the sort of um recruitment of people who turn up at its shops to to use online as well has been very good and that, that's very important multi-channel that's what it's all multi-channel. about multi-channel that's the word they like to use um, I, I presume we're expecting similar trends uh, at william hill as well well yeah william hill's a funny one because obviously labbrooks has also got the potential um sort of well, mid-year, well, all the bookies have the football tournament. That's good. Ladbrokes is very football-focused, so that that's going to help Ladbrokes. Um, Ladbrokes also was part of the sort of big M&A surge in the gambling sector last year. So the Competition and Markets Authority is releasing a final report on Ladbrokes' approach for Gala Coral mm-hmm. um, in June. William Hill, now that was a wallflower in all of the M&A. It, it didn't kind of tie up with anybody. Um, it had a failed attempt with 888 about a year ago. That didn't really work out. So William Hill's an interesting one because it doesn't have an M&A boost coming or not an obvious one that we can see yet. Um, 
and it is sort of it has been struggling recently as well. So it has a lot less debt than Ladbrokes, which is one good thing for it. Was, it, but it was always the preferred pick of the two. It was, yeah, but I think Ladbrokes could be swinging it its way now. Mm, um, interesting, especially this year particularly because of the football tournament. I said Ladbrokes is very very football heavy. William Hill is a bit more spread between sort of horse racing and football. Yeah, aren't they all going to get wiped out when Leicester win the league? Well, I asked, I asked, <laughs> I asked the CFO that. Jamie Vardy's um, having a pie. Yeah, <laughs> apparently there are some diehard uh, Leicester fans who bet at five thousand one wow who will obviously get a big payout but there are also the, the number of people that well the people that outnumber them significantly are Chelsea and Man U fans who also thought they would win the league and bet on such an outcome and that looks unlikely so yes they could lose a bit of Leicester win but there are a lot of Man U and Chelsea fans that, well that this guy said who you know could lose out if they don't those two teams don't win the league I can see the producer Dom getting agitated over there he's a Spurs fan I think his, his view is probably that Spurs are uh, condemned Spurs to are going to win the league Condemned to a life of disappointment. He's yeah, got the microphone with him, like, so he can't say anything. No, nah, they're not going to, Dom. <laughs> <laughs> okay, right, that's enough uh, news this week. Thank you, uh, thank you, Brady. Thank you, Ian. Mark, let's talk about the cover feature. This is uh, this is what we all want to know. Um, Marcus, we're up a bit, up again today. They were down the last two days, but then they're up the few days before that, and then down heavily the few days before that. It's all a bit volatile. Yeah, and people could be forgiven for being somewhat nervous uh, that we haven't seen the last of this volatility. Well, what this is um, classic behaviour on a downward trend in the market as well. Increased volatility. So yeah. you know, we we've had a record week last week in terms of the the retracement there, but uh, we shouldn't get too carried away with that. I don't think. Okay, so what we've done in this feature, uh, talk us through it, because it comes in, in several parts. Well, yeah, I mean, we, we had a number of writers put something together uh, for our readers here, and a lot of it will be actually uh, familiar to our older subscribers, of course. Uh, the introduction just uh, outlining uh, the basic uh, theory behind holding on to your stocks and then the benefits of uh, the benefits of uh, staying invested staying invested right yes and, I noticed you give a nod to me there time, something I apparently bang on about all the time time, timing, in, the time in the market not timing the market exactly that's it at the moment I think, I think you'll find it's John Barron that, that prefers to repeat that most oh, really? frequently, yes. Okay, but well, I don't mind my, my apologies. No, my that's apologies fine. On that. Basically, we just got to run down on the reasons why you shouldn't panic in, in, in the event of a, a prolonged bear market. Bearing in mind, of course, that uh, the average bear market uh, over the last three decades extends to no more than 18 months, and uh, the average rate of attrition is around about 38%. Okay, so I mean, let's assume we are in a bear market. I mean, arguably, we were only at the very beginning of one. Well, yes. Um, Nicole Elliott, our trader, has uh, contributed to the feature as well, and she's quite scornful of the uh, traditional definition of a bear market. She says it bears, you know, I keep on using the word bear here all the time as well. Uh, she says that it doesn't really make any sense. It's just a, it's just a sort of a, a blunt uh, uh, tool to define a, a down leg in market. It does seem an arbitrary number, 20, it, 20%, isn't it? It is. It's arbitrary. But she, she's marked uh, three uh, resistance points that, uh, our readers can have a look at it here as well uh, and even given my rudimentary knowledge of uh, technical matters it, it, it seems fairly obvious that we, we are we are firmly locked into a, a down leg now and, and looking at that chart yes yeah. quite a way down to go as well potentially yes yes i mean uh, we we can't really see it from uh, what we've got in front of here but we're pushing well below uh, uh, 4000 points uh, would be one definition if that was the the worst case scenario. Mm. Um, and when you look at um, 
when you look at the fundamentals at the moment, we can we can understand why there's uh, anxieties over market. It's the, it's the usual uh, it's the usual suspects. And this is what year. this is what Simon Thompson has really looked at in detail. This yeah, week. I mean you, you know the the, the fall in energy prices as well is either uh, symptomatic or causal where uh, general economic decline is concerned. But we've also got um, uh, increased uh, confusion, I guess, over the direction of uh, U.S. monetary policy. And plus the continued uh, slowdown in China, although there was, there was actually some uh, fairly pleasing metrics out from the People's Republic earlier on this week. But, but do we trust them? No, we don't. Because so, yeah, we, we, we don't. Um, there's part of the problem. Well, that is part of the problem. But you know, the, the first part, as I say, it's just a general rundown on uh, the reasons why you shouldn't panic and, and stay invested. And, and then pointing out the fact that uh, actually a lot of investors do wait for periodic moments of weakness to buy in. This is especially true given the level of uh, yields for some of uh, our better-known companies at the moment. I mean, if you were to buy in Shell at the moment, you'd be looking at a, um, a period, a repayment period of about 12 to 13 years to get your capital back just based on pure yield at the moment. So a lot of people will be asking themselves, is uh, Shell stroke BG like to be around 10, 12, 13 years old? I mean, they're going to come to the conclusion, yes, of course it is. But that said, we have to be wary of value traps. I mean, you know, if you'd have tried that strategy with the miners, you'd have obviously, you know, seen the dividend cut and the payback period extended quite significantly. I don't, I don't think any of the miners had the, the dividend, dividend profile or history that uh, Shell have offered um, uh, you, you you might look at the example of the banks several years ago um, and you could have got burnt on that basis then but uh, Shell provides a, a rather obvious example but that is the reason why why the markets have been bouncing back periodically as well mm. so I guess one you know one lesson to learn from all this is uh, something that we would espouse is that if you know, just keep looking uh, stick to your strategies, stick to your, your your targeted returns, and you know make sure you buy quality and don't take yeah, any that, unnecessary risks. That's it. It's point to point investing, as we as we point uh, to point investing. Yeah, point to point investing, and you you get a return, uh, an average return rate of return, and you stick to that over the course of your portfolio. Of course, what, what, one of the difficulties, at least uh, short term difficulties, is for uh, people nearing retirement or those in retirement who rely on periodic uh, sales of uh, equities in order to uh, supplement their. Mm. Pension arrangements. Now, that's a bit of a that that could be a bit of a difficulty in a bear market. But most financial uh, advisors will uh, will tell you you need about three years worth of uh, spending money just to get over these bumps. A cash they, buffer. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's, it's. I'm sure most of our readers are only too well aware of this. Um, an interesting part of the article is here because I mean, we, as I say, we've got, had a number of our writers uh, contributed to. Uh, to it, including uh, uh, James Norrington, who's been uh, looking at which sectors have uh, performed or outperformed in previous bear markets and if there's any lessons that we can uh, learn on that front. And our personal finance team has given us uh, a rundown of uh, some uh, managed money uh, instruments that uh, uh, our readers would want to have a look at. But also, um, Ian, who's with us today, has, has, uh, has penned a really interesting piece. And I think, in a sense, this is what differentiates the coming bear market or the bear market that, that we're in at the moment from others in that we're, we're in a uncharted waters with a negative interest rate environment. Yeah, Ian, tell us about it. Yeah, I mean, so in terms of just looking at what's behind the bear market, uh, some people, including Jonathan Wilmot at Credit Suisse Asset Management, have um, have looked at whether whether the US decision to increase interest rate for the first time at the end of last year 
is a mirror of the 1937 policy mistake, which some people think led to the recession uh, in the in the US, uh, kind of that later that year and the the year after. Uh, and there's a kind of an interesting graph in the piece uh, that we take from Credit Suisse data, where we look at US industri- industrial production, a key metric of economic uh, progress um, after the kind of the, from the late 20s, and we also compare it from the you know from each of the kind of stock market falls. Uh, and what you see is that U.S. industrial pr- production early on in the recession kind of falls um, sharply. Then it starts to recover. But in the U.S. in 1937, some people think that um, the tightening of uh, reserve requirements, the tightening of monetary policy, triggered the 1937 uh, uh, and 38 kind of recession in terms of production, then pulling back. So policymakers overestimated the strength of the economic recovery they were worried that inflation was coming back too strongly. You had the stock market that had gone to kind of a couple of year, you know, highs and had a couple of years of growth. And they've seen strong parallels between that and the decision that was made at the end of last year. And just following on from what Bradley said earlier, it's interesting how the rhetoric has completely now shifted. Um, so as Mark's saying, now people are talking about negative rates. And I'm sure we'll be talking about that a lot more and how that could then impact on many sectors, including the including the banks, where some people see uh, negative rates as far from helping the banks. So you actually reduce their... Uh, some people would say they will get help get the market going, but the other side of the argument is that they will actually reduce banks' ability to lend yeah, and, and further banks, shrink the... Banks have to be at, I mean, they're at the core of any economy. Exactly. Exactly right. And if they're if they're weak, then you would think that you know the wider economy is going to be weak too. Exactly right. Yeah, and uh, I mean Simon talks about the banks as well from the perspective, as we mentioned, of their exposures to, in particular, U.S. shale, which doesn't look entirely healthy. So, uh, yes, I mean plenty of reasons to be fearful rather than cheerful. And, and the, the, the deflation angle comes in as well because Simon Tom- Thompson in the piece uh, highlights a, a veritable race to the bottom in terms of currency markets as well. Uh, and if you add this to the fact that we've seen, uh, well, we've reportedly seen quite a large sell-off in US-denominated uh, uh, paper assets over recent weeks as well. Over the long term, this is going to uh, devalue the dollar, which in turn acts as a deflationary lever in commodity markets as well. So we, we, we're on the verge of some sort of spiral uh, and worst-case scenario. Mm, it's terrifying. Um, and as you mentioned, Mark, uh Kate uh, Beely over in the personal finance team um, has taken a look at the funds that investors might want to have a look at uh, in this difficult period, particularly around wealth preservation type funds and absolute return. And, you know, some of, the, some of those funds have got a bit of a bad rep, but she's picked out the ones that have, uh, have certainly had a better track record in terms of preserving capital when markets uh, are weak. It's a fantastic feature. Complemented uh, by some, some fantastic graphs from Algae Hall, which show the trajectory of uh, pretty much every bear market we've ever seen in the 20, 20th and 21st centuries. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's fantastic stuff. And uh, yeah, put together in very short order. Thank you very much. That's no problem. I, th- I think it's obviously timely because I think uh, our readers, assuming they haven't already, will just need to uh, sit back and uh, try and review what their uh, portfolio strategy is going to be over the coming months. Yeah, no, this will definitely be very helpful. Uh, thank you very much. Um, so I think that's about all we've got time for. Um, it really is a bumper packed magazine this week we've got as I said lots of results we've got an interesting stock screen from Algie Hall uh, looking at some high yielders uh, lots in the personal finance and fun section which they will talk about on their podcast this week they're actually busy at the moment putting together next week's issue special feature which is the ISA special to uh, give you some ideas to put in your uh, to make the most of your ISA allowances this year we have uh, plenty more in the news section uh, which we didn't have time to discuss today uh, lots of comment as well uh, a great sector focus from Thelma 
Mohammed uh, on the events business in the media sector. Really interesting space that is, uh, particularly in light of, uh, for example, Trinity Mirror's news this week uh, that it's going to uh, launch a new newspaper. Yeah, remarkable. Um, just you know, given the fact that you know, news is so prevalent and widely available on the internet, um, they're going to launch a daily paper. But... It seems slightly mad. We'll there see. you go. Listen, we, you know, we are testament to uh, to the fact that there is life left in print. So, uh, so the best of luck to them. The very best of luck to them. And uh, yeah, best of luck to you all in uh, navigating this bear market. We hope and um, we think this feature will really help you uh, get to grips with uh, with any worries you may have. All good news agents, four pound seventy, and uh, we'll catch up again next week. Thank you. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.